All right, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. I have a little confession to make because we've done a lot of different readings over the last several weeks, and I didn't want to completely skip the book of um, Ephesians. Of course, we are, you know, in, into Philippians, and uh, we'll, we'll keep moving um, after that point. I think Hebrews is after that, and, and we'll keep reading through the New Testament together. By the way, for those of you who don't know, uh, we're reading through the New Testament together as a church, and then on Wednesday nights, we spend some time in that Bible reading plan uh, on a particular passage. Um, however, I didn't want to just gloss over um, the book of Ephesians, but you may or may not remember this, um, and I only say that because I see Evan back there, and I don't think he remembered this, so I'm, I'm picking on him a little bit, but we actually went through this entire letter together about a year ago, and so as I was looking through some notes from Ephesians, there is not a single uh, word that I did not um, turn over at some point in time, and so if you're looking at your Bible and some notes, and you happen to be one of those people who keeps up uh, with who preaches when or where or what or whatever, you might have a little tag in there that says, Danny something 2022 and that would be correct so confession here this may sound somewhat familiar um, but I still think it's extremely valuable for us and I did not want to just skip our time in the letter to the Ephesians now here's the good news about this uh, number one you probably don't remember anything I said so it will be fresh so that's fine um, and secondly um, if you do remember it will be a great uh, reminder and so that will be okay right so we're, we're okay uh, with all of those things. So Ephesians uh, chapter number six, you find that uh, and then we will, we will dive in. I titled this Behind Enemy Lines, and for those of you who are familiar uh, with the letter to the Ephesians, and you should be because you read chapter six yesterday, and so it should be kind of familiar uh, in your minds, but if you're familiar with this particular part of scripture, uh, this is the, the armor of God kind of moment, right, where Paul is uh, equipping the church at Ephesus for spiritual warfare, and how they can stand in uh, hostile uh, territory, and of course, every time I read this, I always think, how many people have ever been in like a hostile environment? Anybody can talk about um, or, or can relate to a hostile environment. Um, the first, the first ideas that always come to my mind is when you're watching like your favorite sports team, but you're at the other team's, you know, home venue. You know what I mean? Like I know you're not like faced with death or about to die, but like everybody's cheering for the other team. All the colors are for the other team. Every call is the wrong call if it goes against the home. Like you know, you just can't, you can't win even if you win because you're not at home. You're at the other place, and so a little bit of a hostile environment there. But one of the memories that comes to my mind the most about a hostile environment was several years ago, Kayla and I had not been married for very long, and a church, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the church that I was serving at, it was my home church, invited us to go on a mission trip with them to uh, Sturgis, South Dakota. We were friends, great friends with a guy who was, had started a, a Christian motorcycle gang called Hellfighters. Well, every year, Hellfighters would go to the Sturgis Bike Rally, and they would do ministry um, in the midst of that rally. Now, you would never believe this, and you would probably have to Google numbers in order to confirm it, because if you've ever been to Sturgis, South Dakota, and I don't know why anybody really would, but if you have, it is not a large city at all. It's a very small town. It's beautiful, but it's really small. But during 
the course of the weeks of the Sturgis bike rally, uh, they boast over a million people are in that city in, in one particular day. And so it's wild. I mean, there's not a there's not a home that somebody's not got a tent in their front yard. There's not a place that's not rented. There's not a sidewalk that someone's not sleeping on. Like, I mean, there are bodies and people everywhere. But as you can imagine, and for those of you who are familiar with this particular bike rally, it gets a little wild there, um, not only at night, but during the day. As a matter of fact, when we drove into Sturgis, it was like one o'clock in the morning. We took, we went by bus, the church bus. They took out several seats in the back of the bus and they built bunk beds into the bus so that the drivers never, we never had to stop driving. They would just swap out and they would sleep like on the bunk beds and we just kept going. And so I think it was like 31 hours we drove uh, at, you know, by the time we finally got there, but we never, we never stopped anywhere. We just hung out on the bus. But anyway, so we're coming in at like 1 a.m. and the first thing the bus driver says is, don't look to your left. So of course, all of us are like, what are you talking about? You know? And uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty intense uh, from that moment on. But we did a lot of ministry there and uh, certainly saw God do some, some, some really incredible things. But one day while we were there, we got to partner with the guy who does the crosswalk all over uh, the United States. I think he's been all the way across the United States in every possible direction that you can think of simply by carrying a cross on his back. Um, and it's pretty cool. It's got a little wheel on it. He drags it, walks through all these places, and it's just, it's just a testimony of the Lord. He doesn't really say much. He just walks with a cross like Jesus. And so the, the, while we were at Sturgis, he was coming through. And so we partnered with him. We, we took turns carrying the cross as we walked through Sturgis. And I'll be honest with you, it was absolutely wild. The things that were, were screamed at us, the comments that were made, the, uh, the, the things that people were doing to try to make sure nobody saw or looked at the cross. I remember at one point we were walking and our group was singing uh, a song while we were carrying the cross and all the motorcycles on the strip, they all started revving them up so loud that no one could hear what we were singing. Like, it was just, it, it was an intense moment where I wasn't fearful necessarily for my life, but you could clearly tell this was not the place that those people wanted to hear about Jesus. This was not exactly home field advantage in this place, right? Like, we were clearly in a hostile uh, environment. And so, thinking about those kind of things makes this particular passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6 resonate with my soul because those types of environments are what it's like for Christians in our world today. We are not at home, right? We are, in fact, behind enemy lines. And when God begins to bless Satan begins to battle. Those just go hand in hand. Many of you can probably share testimonies about your own walk with Jesus. The more God started doing things in your life, the more the devil ramped up everything else that he could to hinder it, right? The more you started seeing the Lord work in you, the more everything else started falling apart. That's how it works. As God blesses, Satan battles. Like that's the, that's the fight that we're in every single day. And I love one commentary writer, John MacArthur, in reference to uh, the, the letter of Ephesians, by the time he gets to this moment, writes these words. 
He says, if we are walking worthy of our calling in humility rather than pride, in unity rather than divisiveness, in the new self rather than the old, in love rather than lust, in light rather than darkness, in wisdom rather than foolishness, in the fullness of the Spirit rather than the drunkenness of wine, and in mutual submission rather than self-serving independence, then we can be absolutely certain we will have opposition and conflict. He goes on, he says, a Christian who has no conflict is a Christian who has retreated from the front lines of service. We know this. We've heard this a thousand times, right? Like, if you're not, if Satan's not after you, then you must not be worthy for him to go after, right? Or does Satan know your name? Because if he doesn't care about you, it's probably because you're not making an impact on the world. That's the type of writing that he's talking about. In fact, Paul mentions battling with the devil himself when he said this to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. He says, we wanted to come to you, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Like, that should be just a... That should be a t-shirt somewhere, right? I've seen all those t-shirts that are like, not, not today, Satan, right? Like, I agree. Like, we're going we're gonna to fight him. We're going to battle him. I think there should be another one that says, Satan hindered us, right? Like a confession of all the moments where we did not win the battle. We backed down. We ran from enemy lines. We ran from the front lines, and we didn't do uh, what the Lord wanted us to do. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul kind of gives a, 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 makes a discussion, gives us some preparation for what we need to do to fight against the devil daily. And that's what I want to walk through uh, for just a few moments tonight. I'll try to be fast if that can be done. Here's go. I want to show you this. Number one, when it comes to fighting against the devil daily, what do we need? Well, we need power. We can't do it in ourselves. We know this. We need power, and we need it from God. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Right? That's not my might. That's not your might. We're talking about the power of Jesus at work within us. We're talking about his strength, his might. As a matter of fact, the word for be strong is in the passive voice. It's not something you are doing, but something that is being done to you. Now, Paul knew more than anybody about God's strength. As soon as Paul became a Christian, he stepped out into a battle against the devil. Here's what we learn in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, shortly after Paul's conversion and given his life to Jesus. It says, but Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. It wasn't him that was growing in strength. It was what God was doing in him. He increased all the more in strength as the Lord was growing him and developing him, and he was sharing the name of Jesus, proving that he was real, fighting on his behalf. We need power. Now you say, Danny, why do we need power? Let me show you a couple of reasons. One is because of the devil's strength. Now, I know we just talked about God's and the fact that we need power, but I think it's reflected, the fact that we need power, because of the enemy and the power that he has that we're against. We certainly don't have to be afraid of the devil. Jesus is greater. But we must never downplay the power of the devil to corrupt and destroy, to think that we can go toe-to-toe with him on our own. When that type of pride and arrogance rises up in our lives, we are in trouble. 
Because, friends, we can't. It's not my power, your power. It's God's power, his might at work within me. I need that power because of the devil's strength. Satan, in, in Scripture, is called the counterpart to the mighty archangel Michael. Now, just to give you a, a picture of this, there is no mightier angel than Michael. We would never even stand in his presence. We would fall on our face terrified. Yet, Satan is the counterpart to that particular angel. He is the accuser of humans. That's what Zechariah tells us. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour people. He is the ruler of this world and the prince of the power of the air. Just to think about other places in Scripture, think about Job. He said, hey, what kind of power does the devil have? Well, what's good news is that he only has the power that God allows him to have. Now, that's a whole other discussion for another day. But because God allows him to have power, at least on this side of eternity, it is a mighty power. He had the power to take everything that Job had away from him. He took his family, he took his wealth, he took his health. He even had the power to try and tempt Jesus by offering him incredible things. We read about that in Matthew chapter 4. The devil is not someone we want to mess around with. He has the power to destroy and corrupt. We by ourselves stand no chance against him. But Good news is we know we're not standing alone. Though Satan has great power against us, he can do nothing before the strength of the Lord. Remember what Paul wrote earlier in the book of Ephesians. This is in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Listen to these words. They're beautiful. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Talking about God. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That is the power of Jesus for us. This is the one that we are strengthened through. Our enemy is strong. His attacks are certainly relentless, but the power of Christ can defend us against any assault of Satan. As a matter of fact, in a couple of days, you're going to read this verse in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Listen, as much as we love to talk about scoring a touchdown in this way, it's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a war at work against the devil. We can make it. We can succeed. We can conquer, not because of us, but because of God at work in our lives. I love it, right? So we need power because of the devil's strength. Let me show you another thing, though. We need power because of the devil's schemes. Look at verse 11, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You say, Danny, why do we need power? Well, because of the devil's strength, but also because of the devil's schemes. Now, notice that the armor is not your armor. Once again, you put on the armor of God, he, his might, his strength, not us, right? This is what Paul's talking about in the previous verse. Now, the word stand means to be there. That's what it means. You're like, Danny, that makes sense. Well, it means to remain in a particular place. The word carries the idea of continuing. There is no doubt in my mind, nor was there in the mind of Paul, that to follow Jesus means that you are entering into a war behind enemy lines. There's a fight to be had. The devil will come after you, and he will try his best to destroy your life. This is why Paul wrote also earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Friends, we know this, but this is a reminder to you. The devil knows every weakness you have. He knows everything that he can do to trick you, to make you stumble, to cause you to fall. He's got schemes that we can't even begin to imagine that we think will never affect us, but he is working them. He is figuring it out. He is finding ways, him and all of the power that is at his disposal. They are looking for ways to destroy our lives. He is a cunning prey that we will never see coming. However, you can stand in the midst of his worst attacks, continuing, standing, following after Jesus because you have the strength of his might. You have what he does not have. You have the armor of God. Now, what's interesting about this is that Paul is probably chained to a Roman soldier who is actually on guard over Paul's life. Paul's probably looking at that particular soldier. He's noticing that army, uh, that armor, and immediately he thinks about the protection that the church will need from its enemies. He thinks about the protection that we will need from the devil, his strength and his schemes. He goes on, verse 12, look at this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You ever read that verse? Thought, Danny, what in the world is, is Paul talking about? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But doesn't it sound intimidating? Doesn't it sound a little tough? Don't you think after you read that, listen to it again, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. That makes me think of the genie, right? Cosmic powers, the universe, you know? against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like, just think about those words. Like, what's Paul communicating? The devil's got a lot at his disposal, right? He's got a lot of power, a lot of authority. He's got a lot that we will have to wrestle against. You know what the word wrestle means here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12? It means one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat. You say, Danny, why is that significant? Because it's going to be personal. The devil knows you. He is going to come at you fiercely, and he is going to fight so that the Lord will not accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives. He goes on. He says, we need power because of the devil's strength, because of the devil's schemes, but also because of the devil's season. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, there it is again, what we have that the devil does not, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You see that phrase, evil day? That's the season of the devil. You say, Danny, when is that? It's now. It's right here. It's upon us. It's every day. It's when you wake up tomorrow and you begin to live again. This is the season of the devil. And until the Holy Spirit banishes him, until God decides that he can no longer do or have power or have authority, it is his season. It is his time. And we need to do everything we can to take up, to put on the armor of God so that we can stand. Listen, after the devil was unsuccessful in tempting Jesus in Luke chapter 4, Luke gives us this interesting little side note about the devil when he leaves. You've probably read this before and thought, hmm, that's an interesting tagline. This is from Luke 4 verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, by the way, unsuccessfully, Jesus was perfect. He departed from him until an opportune time. You remember reading that before? Say, Danny, what's the opportune time? I don't know. 
But I can tell you this, the devil knows when it is, and he's waiting for it so that he can attack you. This time is his. God's given him power, a limited amount of authority, and he is after us. When the great reformer Martin Luther stood accused of heresy after being condemned for declaring that men are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, he declared these words, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. Friend, that's the type of power that we've got to claim in the God who loves and cares for us. That's the type of armor that we have to put on to stand against the strength, the schemes, the season of the devil. I love, as the old hymn writer put it, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. That's all we got. We got him. And can I tell you something? He is enough. He's given us his armor. We need his power, right? The devil's coming. He wants to destroy us. We're in a spiritual battle. We need power. Let me show you the second thing we need. We need protection, right? That's why this armor of God is such a heavy emphasis at the end of the letter to the Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 14. We're going to keep going. We're going to hit these really fast because they're for the most part pretty self-explanatory but he breaks down the armor of God that we need the protection that we need so stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness that's tongue twister there you say Danny what are the pieces of the armor well the first thing he shows us is the belt of truth the belt for the Roman soldier was more than just an accessory piece to complete his outfit or match his shoes I know that's typically what a belt is for us but it was so much more right the heavy six inch wide leather belt secured the soldier's tunic so that his movements would not be hindered it was an incredible piece to the armor imagine a large sheet that had holes cut out uh, for the for the head and the arms it would flap around and it would get in the way without being fastened. It held his breastplate in place and the sheath for his weapon. Would we not agree that the truth of God, his word, keeps everything in our lives in the right place? It's very great that God calls his truth, compares it to the, the belt that the soldier would have fastened to hold everything else. When the devil attacks, when he comes at us, when he comes our way, when life tries to drag us down or the culture of our world presses against us, we have the very truth of God to hold us in place. Is there... It's there to give us every proper perspective we need on this life. We need his truth. He also mentions the, the breastplate of righteousness. The Roman breastplate was a large piece of leather or bronze or chain mail that covered the front and the back of the soldier from his neck to his thighs. It was a large piece to the armor. It was used to protect vital organs. Without it, he would die in minutes. No soldier was going anywhere without this piece of the armor. In ancient Jewish thinking, the heart represented the mind and the will and the bowels were considered the seat of emotions and feelings. The mind and the emotions are the two areas where Satan most fiercely attacks believers. Listen to this from Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately 
really sick. Who can understand it? Matthew chapter 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The devil wants to attack the heart. If we believe we're doing something from our heart, then we will follow it. We know these types of phrases from our culture. Just follow your heart, right? If your heart says it, go after it, do it, chase it. But the Bible teaches us that our hearts are wicked, and apart from being protected by the Spirit of God, they can lead us astray. How many times have you thought, especially in maybe some of your younger years, that you were just after what your heart desired, only to discover that your heart desired something terrible and it wanted to knock you over the head, right? It's like, God, heart, you got me again. This is what the breastplate of righteousness would protect from. Listen to how Paul describes the same righteousness he's talking about in Romans 3.22. He writes, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. No believer can do anything for God without the righteousness of Jesus covering their lives. We are justified through Jesus and his righteousness, not our own. And that's what we should be after, the righteousness of Christ. What an incredible piece to the armor. Let me go on. Let me show you a couple others. Ephesians 6.15, Paul goes on. He says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's the next part to the armor that protects us. One commentary writer, I, I love what he put, he said, the Roman legionnaires wore heavy sandals with soles made of several layers of leather about an inch thick and studded with hollow-headed hobnails. They were tied by leather straps halfway up the shin and were stuffed with wool or fur in the cold weather. Now get an image of this, right? We would think of this like cleats today. They didn't have cleats like we had cleats, so they just flipped their sandal over and drove nails through them. Now they had a lot more grip. Now they could stand firm. How true is this with the peace of God in the believer's life, right? No matter what happens or what the devil throws out you, you are ready because not you, but the gospel of peace is the marvelous truth that in Christ we are now at peace with God and are at one with him. You say, Danny, why is that important? Because we stand in the confidence of God's love for us, his union with us, his commitment to fight for us. Here's what it means. No circumstance can take your peace. No tragedy can take your peace. No outcome can take your peace. There is no doubt, no scheme, no accusation the devil can throw at you that will knock you down when you're wearing the peace of Jesus to hold you firm. This is the description of the gospel of peace to keep us firm as we follow after Jesus. Let me show you the next one, the shield of faith. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the shield that Paul was thinking about or possibly even looking at with the soldier that he was chained to was a four-and-a-half-foot-tall and two-and-a-half-foot-wide two oval or rectangle. It was typically leather or metal and soaked in water or heavy oils prior to battle in order to put out the flaming darts of the enemy. It could also be interlocked with other shields to provide a wall in front of the soldiers and a roof above them. So it's not a beautiful description of what faith is for those who follow Jesus. We would spend all day trying to list out the various ways the evil one can attack us. We could try, but there would be a list a mile long. 
However, faith is seeing our lives through God's perspective. We trust that God will handle any attacks the devil throws our way because he is in control of all things. You know what that means? He's even in control of my life. Whatever attacks are allowed, God has a plan, and we walk by faith in him, not by what we see around us. Paul said this, we walk by faith, not by sight. I love the story of John Patton. He was translating the Bible for a, a South Seas Island tribe, and he discovered that they had no word that would describe trust. They had no word that described faith, especially not biblical faith. He said one day a native who had been running hard came into the missionary's house, flopped himself into a large chair, and said, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And then Patton said, that's it. That's the word. I'll translate faith as resting one's whole weight on God. That's what it looks like for us to place our faith in him, to have the shield of faith. Nothing the devil does can, can hit us when our trust is in Jesus. Look at this one, the helmet of salvation, Ephesians six seventeen. He's continuing to describe the armor. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the helmet of salvation. We, could all, we, we all know that, and this is kind of weird, but you ever watch one of those shows and like they you know, shoot somebody in the shoulder and they're trying to kill them? I know this sounds really weird. Probably shouldn't be recording this right now. I don't watch movies where people kill each other. But anyway, <laughs> you've seen a moment like that and then they walk away and you're like, dude, why don't you just shoot them in the head? Like then it's over, right? Well, it's also kind of weird to say out loud. Like, you know, the most vulnerable part, right? Like, I don't want to give any, I, I don't want there to be any chance. I'll just shoot them there because that ends it. Now, think about that comparison, which is also kind of strange, to the helmet of salvation. If that's the most vulnerable, is that not what salvation does for us? It takes what is most vulnerable, what can do nothing on their own. It takes us from the nothingness that we had, from the very depths of hell itself, the grips of the devil, and pulls us out so that we can be made right with God. How important is salvation to every believer? Why would it not be an important part of the armor? Paul also mentions the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon or, or, or piece to the armor. The sword is the word of God. This is also one that's most clearly defined as what it is. You don't have to try to figure out how to make a comparison to it. Danny, what's the sword of the spirit? Well, he tells us it's the word of God. When faced with the schemes of the devil, Jesus used God's word to defeat him. In fact, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, here's what he told him. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's our lives, friends. If God said it, I believe it. And even beyond that, I don't just believe it, I do it. I live it. Why? Because that's our sword. That's how we fight. That's how we move forward. We need the Word of God. John Wesley wrote, The Bible must have been written by God or good men or bad men or good angels or bad angels. But bad men and bad angels would not write it because it condemns bad men and bad angels. And good men and good angels would not deceive by lying about its authority and claiming that God wrote it. And so the Bible must have been written as it claims to have been written by God, who by his Holy Spirit inspired men to record his words using the human instrument to communicate his truth. 
They are words written by kings, by emperors, by princes, by poets, by sages, by philosophers, by fishermen, by statesmen, by men learned in the wisdom of Egypt, educated in the schools of Babylon, and trained at the feet of rabbis in Jerusalem. It was written by men in exile, in the desert, in shepherd's tents, in green pastures, and beside still waters. Among its authors, we find a, a tax collector, a herdsman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. We find poor men, rich men, statesmen, preachers, captains, legislators, judges, and exiles. The Bible is a library full of history, genealogy, law, ethics, prophecy, eloquence, medicine, sanitary science, political economy, and the perfect rules for personal and social life. And behind every word is the divine author, God himself. God. See, Danny, how could something be put together like that? Yeah, only God, right? With God's word in our heads through memorization, in our hearts through meditation, and in our hands through application, we have the power to effect change by speaking, sharing, and living out that word. It is the sword that we need to fight. Listen, friends, we need power. We need protection. But let me show you this as well we need prayer I love this moment because as you know we've been spending a lot of weeks now talking about prayer but Paul makes sure to include that in my opinion as part of the armor seems to be a little disconnected but I assure you it is not look at verse 18 he doesn't stop talking about the armor he continues in the spiritual fight he says praying at all times in the spirit with all power, uh, all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let me show you just a, a, a quick little picture of, of all that Paul's talking about. He's saying pray perpetually. He reminds us to pray at all times. There is never a moment in our lives that we don't need God to work in us, praying at all times. He says in the Spirit, pray powerfully. Paul reminds us to pray in the Spirit. This means to pray by His power according to his ability, not ours, and in accordance to his will. As he put in Romans chapter 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He says pray, pray perpetually, pray powerfully. He says pray persistently. He says pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance always watching out for the dangers of the devil and continuing to pray not just once but always i can't help but think about jesus in matthew 26 when he says again for the second time he went away and prayed my father if this cannot pass unless i drink it your will be done and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy so leaving them again he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again he kept praying he's persistent in his effort toward God, Paul reminds us to pray purposefully. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Look at what he says. That words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What's he saying? Pray for me. Pray purposefully that I will accomplish what the Lord wants me to accomplish. Man, Paul doesn't ask for freedom. He doesn't ask for healing for any of his ailments. Not that any of those would have been wrong or bad requests, but rather he prays for Jesus to be made known. He doesn't want the gospel to be hindered. He wants more and more people to be able to fight against the devil by being freed from the chains of sin to walk in freedom through Jesus. 
Love what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 1. Anybody read Philippians 1 today? It's okay. No one did. It's fine. <laughs> he wrote, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Say, Danny, what's happened to him? Beatings, shipwrecks, imprisonments. He's imprisoned when he writes this. Don't worry about me, friends. It's all been done. It's served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's like, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It's all for the advancement of the gospel. If I get locked up in chains, I get to tell them about Jesus. If I'm on house arrest, I get to encourage the brothers in this town that the church has started in. Wherever I am, it's all for the sake of the gospel, right? It's beautiful. He says, man, we need, we need power. We need protection. We need prayer. Let me show you this last one. We need people. Look at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. Here's what Paul wrote. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, uh, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. Now watch this. And that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You say, Danny, why is he tagging on this little segment about Tychicus? Well, it's because they, he knew how much they would need each other. He knew how much they would need others in order to grow and develop and become more like Jesus. We need people. If we're going to stand against the devil, if we're going to fight against the evil, if we're going to battle behind enemy lines, Danny, what do we need? We need power. We need protection. We need prayer. We need people. We need each other. We need accountability. We need to push each other forward for Jesus. We can't fight the schemes of the devil without other people to walk with us, encourage us, challenge us. We need each other. Why? Well, here's what Paul wrote, or the writer of Hebrews, depending on what tradition you hold, in chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know what's awesome at the end of the day? Though we are behind enemy lines, you know what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8? doesn't matter what comes against us. What can stand in our way? Who can be against us if God is for us? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Here's what he writes. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, of course not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't that beautiful that we can claim victory in Jesus? Friends, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know where you're struggling. I don't know where you're fighting, but I know you're in a spiritual battle just like I am. For some, it might mean you surrender your life to Christ. Wow, wouldn't that be an awesome thing to do? Change you forever as you begin following Jesus. But for most in this room, maybe you came in here with a heavy heart. Maybe you came in here with some things that you, man, you're like, Danny, that hand-to-hand combat thing, that's me right now. I feel like me and the devil are going blows. You know what I'm saying? Let me just tell you something, friend. You can't do it on your own, but it's even better. You can do it with Jesus, who wants to do it. So let me just encourage you. God's got everything we need. Will we trust in him even as we battle, even as we fight behind enemy lines? Have you put on the armor of God? Are you putting it on every day? If not, maybe this could be a moment where you say, God, help me to remember to put on the armor.